And go in your Bibles to the book of Judges. Pueden tomar su lugar y luego vayan su Biblia al libro de Jueces, capítulo 3, verso 15. Judges, chapter 3, and verse 15. Praise the Lord. It's nothing in the world like the presence of God. No hay nada en el mundo como la presencia de Dios. Judges, it's right after Second Chronicles and after Joshua, you'll find the book of Judges. Jueces está después de Crónicas y luego después de Josué va a encontrar el libro de Jueces. We began our Bible study last week on the book of Judges and we're going to be studying through this uh, significant book it is a transitional book. It takes us from the ministry of Moses to the ministry of, or from the ministry of Joshua to the ministry of David. El libro de jueces es un libro transicional que nos ayuda, o tran, la, la, nos da la transición histórica del ministerio de Josué al ministerio de David. Y hoy vamos a ver la segunda um, Etapa de este libro, we're going to see, look at the second cycle that plays itself out in the book of Judges. And I mentioned to you last week that Judges is a book of cycles. It talks of the, uh, what scholars call the cycle of history. El libro de jueces nos da lo que se llama el ciclo de la historia. And the cycle of history in particular for uh, the nation of Israel and also for many nations including ours plays out like this. At the top, it's a circle, and at the top is the people fearing the Lord. El ciclo de la historia que se ve en la nación de Israel y también en nuestra nación y en todas las naciones del mundo y en nuestras vidas personal es un circo y arriba del circo está temer a Dios. Cuando tememos a Dios hay bendición. When we fear the Lord, there's blessing. Then we follow the cycle. We see the nation of Israel come from fearing the Lord down to forgetting the Lord. Luego vemos que la nación de Israel va de temer a Jehová a olvidar a Jehová. Then we see them reject the Lord and serve other gods. Luego los vemos rechazar a Jehová y servir a otros dioses, which brings upon the judgment of God. Y eso trae el juicio de Dios. In the book of Judges, we see that God would raise up a, a foreign kingdom to come and disturb the peace of Israel. And then they get down to the bottom of the, of the circle. Luego llegan al, al, abajo del círculo y ahora están en la opresión. Now they're under oppression by a foreign entity. And so when they're in oppression, what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. Estando en ese estado bajo, claman a Jehová y Jehová los escucha y ahora levanta un libertador. They cry unto the Lord and the Lord raises up a deliverer. We start to come up on that circle. They are delivered and they're back on top serving the Lord. Ellos son liberados porque han clamado a Jehová. Jehová envía un libertador y ahora regresan a, la, a lo de arriba del círculo. Y están de nuevo sirviendo a Jehová. Y siete veces vemos esto pasar en este libro. Seven times we see this cycle play itself out in this book. And it's important for us to study because many times our lives play out just like that. Es importante estudiar esto porque muchas veces nuestra vida es como ese círculo. Ese ciclo de... Derrota. It's a cycle of defeat, really, is what it is. And I want to tell you without any doubt, in my spirit, in my mind, in my study of the scripture, without any doubt, it is not God's will for you to live in the perpetual cycle of defeat. I think I could get a little bit better, amen. Yo les voy a decir, sin duda alguna, en todo mi estudio bíblico, en todo lo que yo sé de la palabra del Señor, sin duda alguna le puedo decir que no es la voluntad de Dios que usted viva en un ciclo de derrota. Tell your neighbor, God wants me 
to live on top. Dígale a su vecino, Dios quiere que yo viva arriba. That sounds good, doesn't it? I think you should say it again. God wants me to live on top. That's why when we pray the blessing over you, we say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May he make you the head and not the tail. May you always go above and not beneath. Is that King's way or what? It's God's will for me to live on top. Es la voluntad de Dios que yo viva sobre ese círculo porque dice la bendición pastoral que seremos cabeza y no cola. Iremos arriba y no abajo. But sometimes we get in ruts. Pero a veces nos, nos metemos a un ciclo de derrota. And so here's what I want you to know. I want you to believe that it's not for you. All right? If you've already made up your mind, this is the way it's always going to be, I have come to reprogram you. All right? That is not God's will for your life. Si usted ya se determinó, no, siempre voy a ser así. Yo he venido a cambiarle la mente. Esa no es la voluntad de Dios para su vida. So, are we ready? Judges 3.15. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, see the cycle has already hit the bottom. How, how long were they free the last time? Anybody remember? Last year, I, last week I told you. Forty years. They had peace for 40 years. Remember I asked you to look into the future and see what it looks like in 40? Well, 40 years is a good long time, but then they went back into the cycle. Ellos habían tenido paz por 40 años y ahora entran de nuevo al ciclo y Jehová envía un opresor. God sends us uh, an oppressor. So we read here that they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up a deliverer from them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute to him by Eglon, king of Moab. And Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges a cubit in length, and he bound it in his right thigh under his cloak. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. It came about that when he had finished presenting the tribute, that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silent. And all who attended him left him. And Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud stretched out his hand and took the sword which was in his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the sword out of his belly. And the refuse came out. Then Ehud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. All right, we're going to read the rest of that. I know it's not pretty. I love Judges. It's a very manly book. It's raw. But here's all you know. It may not be pretty. But you will get your miracle. Can you live with that? Tell your neighbor, this may not be pretty, but I'm going to get my miracle. Father, we come before your throne of grace tonight in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach and teach the word of the living God and anoint the hearing of this congregation to receive that word. I pray that it would be fruitful in every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I want you to go back just for a moment to verse 12 of Judges 3. Vaya al libro de Jueces 3, verso 12. It says, The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now I want to just mention real quick something here as we get into this cycle. We study this pattern. That Israel's enemies were so weak, the Lord had to strengthen them in order to fight Israel. Vemos aquí que dice que Jehová dio fuerza a los enemigos de Israel para que vinieran contra ellos. Y eso nos indica que los enemigos de Israel eran tan débil que no podían ni contra Israel si Jehová no los ayudaba. And this is an important matter for us to get into our spirit that our enemy is not greater than us. Nuestro enemigo no es mayor que nosotros. The only way that Eglon, the king of Moab, had any strength against Israel was that the Lord granted him the strength and, and that the Lord basically lifted his hand of protection over the nation of Israel in order to allow him to oppress them. But on his own, he could not have done it. And I just want you to know that the enemies in your life are not greater than you. If God before you, who can be against you? Si Dios es contigo, ¿quién en contra de ti? Nuestros enemigos no son más que nosotros. Pero a veces, nuestros enemigos nos vencen Sometimes our enemies gain strength over our lives because we have allowed our lives to position us in a place where the enemy can get us and where the enemy can attack because of neglect in our spiritual uh, responsibilities. A veces por la irresponsabilidad espiritual nos dejamos en un lugar donde el enemigo puede entrar. And the enemy, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile, right? Si usted le da una pulgada al diablo, él se va a llevar una mía. He will take more than you thought you would give him. And this is, this is an important thing for us to notice here at the beginning, that it's the Lord who allows this to happen in order to get Israel's attention. Jehová permite esto para que Israel lo vea, para que entienda. And, and when, you're, when you're at the bottom of your life, God would rather you be uh, calling out to him for help than for you to be lost and not know it. Dios prefiere que usted y yo estemos clamando a él por ayuda que estar perdido y no saberlo. And so he allows this to happen, and the scripture tells us that three, three nations came against Israel. Se levantaron tres naciones contra Israel. Moab, Moab, um, Amon, Amon, e, uh, and Amalek, which is Amalek. Now, if you study your Old Testament, you will notice that all three of these countries are related to Israel. They're cousins. Moab and Ammon are the descendants of Lot. Remember when Lot was rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah? Moab y Ammon son los descendientes de Lot. Cuando Lot fue rescatado de Sodoma y Gomorrah, sus hijas lo embriagaron Tuvieron relación con él para, para tener hijos con su padre, un pecado terrible. Y de ahí vino la generación de Moab y la generación de Amón. And so, when Lot's daughters um, were rescued out of Sodom, they, they got their dad drunk and they had children with their father. Terrible sin that occurred. And the children were Moab and Ammon. And this, these two nations represent the flesh. All three of these nations. Esas tres naciones representan la carne. The flesh is your cousin, all right? You can't get rid of it. La carne es su primo. Usted va a vivir en esta carne todo el día, toda la noche. You're going to have your flesh every day, every night, till you're in heaven. And you're going to have to deal with the flesh. And then we see that Amalek was the son of Esau, the brother of Jacob. Amalek era otro primo por el lado de Esau. 
Y estos tres representan la carne y la, la, el poder de la carne. They represent the power of the flesh. Moab, if you want to jot this down, Moab represents the power of the flesh. Ammon represents the passion of the flesh. And Amalek represents the persistence of the flesh. Moab representa el poder de la carne. Amon representa la pasión de la carne. Y Amalek representa la persistencia de la carne. Notice those three words, power, passion, and persistence. That's what you and I are dealing with when we talk about the sin nature. Cuando usted y yo hablamos de la naturaleza pecaminosa, estamos hablando de una naturaleza que tiene poder, pasión, y persistencia. And if you've ever dealt with the flesh, you know that the flesh is persistent. The Bible said that the mindset on the flesh wars against God. La mente que está sobre la carne hace guerra contra Dios. And so it's going to be this enemy that Israel has to face. Este es el enemigo que Israel tiene que, uh, que con, con que tratar. And this is why I'm bringing this to you because the Lord has said to us that he wants to, he wants to bring stability to our lives In areas where there's instability, he said, the year 2016 will be a year of stability. El Señor nos ha dicho que en este año va a ser un año de estabilidad. Well, guess what? Last, last week we talked about that in order to have stability, we need to be a consistent person. La semana pasada hablamos de que si queremos estabilidad, tenemos que ser consistentes. Well, now we're going to see that if we want this stability, we're going to have to deal with the flesh. Tenemos que tratar con la carne. Tenemos que uh, no ignorar este enemigo, sino tratar con él. Because friends, listen, our worst enemy is not outside. Amigo, nuestro peor enemigo no está afuera. My worst enemy stares me in the face every morning in the mirror. Mi enemigo peor es el que me ve en el, en el espejo todos los días. How many of you know you can punish yourself worse than the devil sometimes? ¿Cuántos saben que usted se puede castigar peor que el diablo? I love what John says about it. He says, even if, if uh, he says, if my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. Dice Juan, aun si mi corazón me condena, Jehová es mayor que mi corazón. That's exciting, isn't it? Even sometimes you're the worst enemy, you're, you're worse to yourself than, than anybody else could be. And yet, God is greater than that. He is more uh, able to, to change that and restore that. But so we have to deal with me. Tell your neighbor, let me deal with me. Because you could deal with all the people in your life that are causing you trouble and wreaking havoc in your life, but if you don't deal with you, you're in the cycle still. Notice this. Every one of these cycles has one common denominator. There's a different enemy in every cycle, but the common denominator is Israel. En cada de estos ciclos hay un Uh, denominador uh, igual todos tienen un diferente enemigo pero el, lo que sigue igual en cada ciclo de este libro de jueces es Israel are you following me you are the common denominator so if you get rid of every enemy in your life and you haven't dealt with the self you haven't dealt with the flesh you are still going to be in the cycle si usted trata con todos los enemigos en su vida, pero no trata con el yo, no ha tratado con nada, porque sigue en el ciclo. I talk to people, they say, Pastor, I got a new job. Two weeks later, I got another new job. A month later, I got another new job. What's the problem? The people there, Pastor, the people at these jobs. <laughs> A veces dice uno, tengo un trabajo nuevo, y en dos semanas otro trabajo, y en otro mes otro trabajo. Y les digo, ¿qué pasó? ¿Es que la gente ahí, pastor? ¿Cómo puede ser que en cada trabajo el problema es alguien más? How is it that in every job, 
It's someone else's problem. Now, I'm using the word job to keep it on a neutral plane because if I said somebody had a marriage and they said that marriage didn't work and that one didn't work and that didn't work, but it's the, other, it's, it's the guy that I married. It's the girl that I married. <laughs> I don't know. Or that there's somebody, nobody here, right, but somebody says, Pastor, I, I went to another church because those people over there at that church. And then they go to another church and the people over there at that church. And before long, they've gone through every church in town and there ain't any good churches in all of Beeville. There aren't any good pastors. Nobody knows the word. You following me? You got to deal with me. Hay personas que van de iglesia en iglesia y nunca hayan una iglesia buena. El problema no es la iglesia. El problema soy yo. No es el trabajo, soy yo. No es el matrimonio, soy yo. No es el novio, la novia. Soy yo. You guys are so quiet tonight. <laughs> All right. Say, deal with me, Lord. Because you see, if God deals with you, Hell itself can show up at your front door and it not steal your peace. Si Dios trata contigo, aunque el infierno llegue a tu puerta, no te va a robar la paz. All right. I'm getting nervous. Now, notice the Bible says that Eglon took control of the city of palm trees. Dice la escritura que Eglon se tomó el control de la ciudad de las palmas. You wouldn't know this, but if you studied it, the city of palm trees was the city of Jericho. La ciudad de las palmas era la ciudad de Jericho. You remember what happened to Jericho? They walked around that city, and then the, the walls came tumbling down. Well, then they rebuilt Jericho, next to Jericho, and that was the site of one of the greatest testimonies for the nation of Israel. El, la ciudad de las palmas era Jericó, donde Jehová había hecho un maravilloso uh, testimonio para su gloria. Jericho was the first city that Israel conquered when they came into the promised land. Jericó era el primer, la primer ciudad que se había conquistado por Jehová cuando ellos entraron a la tierra Prometida, pero ahora el enemigo viene a tomar dominio de lo que Dios ya les había dado. So now the enemy has come in and he has taken control of something that God had already given them. And that is about the worst thing, isn't it? It's, it's one thing if you lose an opportunity on something you never had. But when you lose what you have had. It hurts. Cuando uno pierde lo que ya tuvo, ya es algo difícil. Y es lo que está pasando aquí. El enemigo se está burlando de ellos. The enemy is mocking them. I have something that used to be yours. El enemigo está burlándose de ellos porque ahora tiene algo que antes era de ellos y regresó a sus manos. And I want to hear, I want to just make you uh, aware of this tonight that you and I have victory over the flesh. Usted y yo ya tenemos victoria sobre la carne. We have victory over the power, passion, and persistence of the flesh. Tenemos victoria sobre el poder, la pasión, y la persistencia de la carne. But whenever the enemy manages to come in, he does it to mock us. That's why he will always try to drag you back to what he dragged you out, what you got taken out of, so that he can say, so much for your God. So much for that. This is when we need a deliverer. Ahora ellos necesitan un libertador. And I want you to notice that the Lord raised up Ehud. Now, Ehud, we said that, that uh, Othniel, the judge we talked about last week, he was a consistent man. Um, any consistent men in here? Are there any consistent men in here? Come on, my brothers, give me some help.
If you have a consistent man in your house, say amen. I'm talking about a guy that goes to work, provides for his family, brings his family to church, serves the Lord, reads his Bible, knows how to pray. Come on, do you have a consistent man in your house? Somebody give God some praise for that then. That is so weak. Should I start talking about a consistent woman? Is there a consistent man in the house? Yes, I see him. But you see, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to point him out to you because you're married to these guys. You ought to be honoring them in the gate. What are the ladies tonight? Why can't you honor a consistent man? If you had an inconsistent man, you'd be in here pouting about how, how God cursed you with the worst man of his whole tribe. But you got a good man, and you're like, eh. <laughs> the devil is a liar. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself, ladies. All right, here it is. If you have a consistent man in your house, you better give God some praise. All right. My goodness. All right. <laughs> Ehud was a persistent man. Este juez es un juez persistente, un hombre persistente. And this is how we're going to see. Vamos a ver por qué. Go to verse 15 and notice how the Bible describes him. Now, when the Bible describes anyone... It doesn't have any extra details. Cuando la Biblia describe a alguien como describe a este juez, no, no, no hay ningún detalle dejado fuera. What is in this verse, God wants us to know. Lo que está en este verso, Jehová quiere que, que sepamos. First of all, the man is named Ehud. His name means mighty. Say mighty. El hombre de este juez es Ehud y él, uh, su nombre significa fuerte. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, es de la tribu de Benjamín. If you know your Bible a little bit, you might remember that Benjamin was uh, the, the youngest son of Jacob and his name means the son of my right hand. Benjamín significa el hijo de mi mano derecha. So, uh, Ehud, literally, his name means mighty right hand. Su nombre significa fuerte en la mano derecha. And then the Bible says, but he was left-handed. <laughs> y luego dice la Biblia que era, ¿cómo se dice left-handed? Zurdo. Zurdo, no sordo, pero zurdo. Su nombre es fuerte en la mano derecha, pero él es zurdo. His name means mighty right arm, but he's left-handed. God is saying something here. And this is an important fact because really the Hebrew implies here that he wasn't left-handed naturally. He was left-handed because something happened to his right hand. Lo que es implicado aquí en el, en el original hebreo es que no era zurdo por naturaleza, sino que era zurdo porque algo le pasó a su mano derecha. So either maybe a, a household accident or some kind of uh, work-related incident or maybe an injury in battle, caused him to use to lose the use of his right hand. Eh, algún accidente o algo que ocurrió en su vida causó que él perdiera el uso de su mano derecha. Now we know that a lot of the Benjamites were left-handed. Any lefties in here? All right, praise God for the left-handed. But he wasn't lefty by nature. 
He was lefty by circumstance. No era zurdo por natura, naturaleza, era zurdo por uh, una circunstancia que había pasado en su vida. And so something happened to him, algo ocurrió en su vida que contradijo su nombre. Something happened in his life that contradicted his name. Now here's what I want to draw home for us, is that many of us live with this kind of contradiction. Muchos de nosotros vivemos con esta clase de contradicción. Where you have a name, but you don't have a condition. Donde tienes un nombre, pero no tienes la condición que viene con ese nombre. For instance, my, my family name is De Los Santos, of the saints. But they're, they're not all saints in my family. Mi nombre dado es de los santos, pero no todos en mi familia son santos. Tienen un nombre, pero no tienen la condición. And God has given us a name. He's called us son. Dios nos ha dado a nosotros un nombre. Y el nombre es hijo. Of all the names that God has given to you, the name that is above them all is the name Son. De todos los nombres que usted ha recibido de Dios, el, el nombre más precioso es ser llamado Hijo. But sometimes our condition contradicts our name. A veces nuestra condición contradice nuestro nombre. We're a son, but we act like a beggar. Somos hijos, pero a veces nos portamos como uno que tiene que pedir limosna. We're a son, but we act like sometimes we have been rejected by the father. A veces somos llamados hijos, pero tenemos emociones que nos dicen que hemos sido rechazados. And because circumstances happen in our life, sometimes those circumstances contradict what God has said about us. God says I'm blessed, but maybe my circumstances contradict that. Dios dice soy bendecido, pero mis circunstancias contradicen eso. God says that, that whatsoever um, things I ask in the name of Jesus I will receive, but my circumstances seem to argue against that. Dios dice que lo que yo pido en el nombre de Jesús será dado, pero mis circunstancias contradicen eso a veces en mi vida. God says that I'm holy, but sometimes I don't act too holy. Dios dice que soy santo, pero a veces no me porto muy santo. Is this Relating to anybody tonight. Now Ehud has a name, but he doesn't have a condition. And this means a couple of things. It means that in Israel, he would have been unable to enter into a contract, a covenant. He would not be able to, because he had no way of paying off any debt, He had no way of supporting a family. He was uh, not even allowed to go to the tabernacle. No se le permitiría ir al tabernáculo y no podría en entrar en un pacto un o un acuerdo de dinero porque jamás pudiera um, pagar sus deudas. Entonces esta condición lo dejó en un lugar bajo. So this condition left him in a very low state. But I have called him the persistent man. This is why. Because the Bible said the Lord raised up Ehud. Dice la escritura que Jehová levantó a este hombre. Who raised him up? God knows who Ehud is when he picked him. Jehová sabe quién es este hombre cuando él lo escoge y Jehová lo escoge a él aunque su nombre es uno y la condición es otra, pero pone en él un deseo de sobrevivir o sobrepasar sus circunstancias. God raises this man up and puts within him a drive, a desire, a persistence to out 
outrun his circumstances, to outlive the things, the names that life has called him. Is there anybody in here that's about ready to outlive some of the names that life has called you, some of the circumstances that have beat you down? You don't have to stay there. Usted no se tiene que quedar en esa circunstancia. Life may have called you something, but God calls you son. La vida te, quizás te ha llamado muchas cosas, pero Dios te ha llamado hijo. So you see, he has to go into the spiritual because the natural isn't telling him that he is a right strong, a strong right arm. So he has to go into the spiritual to see what he is. Lo natural no le dice que eres un hombre de un brazo derecho fuerte. Entonces, él tiene que entrar a lo espiritual para ver lo que Dios ve. I'm talking to some people tonight that you're going to have to tiptoe a little bit to see what God sees. Algunos de ustedes van a tener que, que ponerse de sus deditos para ver lo que Dios ve. Remember I told you on, on New Year's Eve night that when you have... When you have your eyes on the natural world, you can't see the kingdom world. So my natural says, I'm not blessed, but my supernatural says, I am blessed. My natural says, I'm a failure, but my supernatural says, I am a success. Lo natural dice que soy fracaso, pero lo sobrenatural en el espíritu yo veo que soy un éxito. My natural says I'm broken, but my supernatural says I'm whole. And if you can manage to get up here in the spirit when everything down there is contradicting you and you say, wait a minute, I have a name. God gave me a name. I said, God gave me a name. I'm not what you see. Dios me ha dado un nombre. Yo no soy lo que tú ves. Come on, Ehud. Somebody has to get up. Because if you stay hanging around with the chickens, all you're going to see is chicken feed. Usted tiene que subir un poco más alto a ver lo que Dios ve. Because Ehud had the thought, God don't make any mistakes, and if he gave me a name like this, it's because I'm supposed to live up to it. Él ha de haber pensado, si Dios me da ese nombre es porque Él sabe que yo voy a hacer algo para Él. Now, I want to just point this out. God has called you son. He didn't call you daughter, ladies. <laughs> Hermana, Dios no le llamó hija, le llamó hijo. Now, I don't have time to go there right now, but if you study Galatians, you're going to see why. Because in the Hebrew... Um, culture a daughter was never given rights of inheritance only sons could inherit that's why Galatians says they're neither male nor female with God we're all sons with God we're all heirs with God we all have access to the blessings of God él no, nos haya, no les ha llamado hija, les ha llamado hijo, porque en la cultura de la Biblia, una hija no podía recibir herencia. Por eso Gálatas dice que ya no hay ni hombre ni mujeres hijo. ¿Por qué? Porque ahora usted tiene los derechos a la herencia de su padre. So we have a persistent man on our hands. Tenemos un hombre persistente. And what does the Bible said he did? Number, um, look at what it says. It says he was left-handed. Verse 16, and Ehud made for himself a what? A what? A sword which had two edges. Ehud se hizo una daga, una espada de dos filos. Now the two-edged sword in the Bible refers to the word of God. La espada de dos filos representa la palabra de Dios. Hebrews 4.12 Hebreos 4.12 nos dice, it says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. And is able to pierce and divide between the soul and the spirit as between the bone and the marrow. 
Dice la escritura que la palabra de Dios es una espada de dos filos. Y este juez se prepara una espada de dos filos. This judge prepares himself a double-edged sword. Here's what I want you to know. Before you go fighting your enemy, you need to get the word. Now, the double-edged sword refers to something more. It doesn't just refer to the written word. It refers specifically to the spoken word. And we see that in the book of Revelation because it talks about Jesus having a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So we're talking about when you and I take the word of God and speak it, we have a double-edged sword. Cuando usted y yo tomamos la palabra de Dios y la hablamos, tenemos una espada de dos filos. So next time you go and confront an enemy in your life, don't go quietly. Open your mouth. La próxima vez que usted vaya a confrontarse con un enemigo, abra su boca. I can't teach you this enough, and it's real. You guys are slow about learning it. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're slow about learning it. But when you're quiet, you're not able to effectively take what that double-edged sword is for. Your deliverance, your freedom, the Bible says, is nigh even in your mouth. La liberación está en su boca. That's why I encourage you to pray out loud. When you get in into prayer, pray out loud. When you get when you get into trouble, start quoting scripture out loud. It's that word that's a double-edged sword. Es esa espada de dos filos que está saliendo de tu boca cuando usted proclama la palabra de Dios que Dios ha hablado a su corazón. So here's the deal. If I say to you, you're blessed, but you don't open your mouth and receive it, then you didn't receive it. If I say to you, you're blessed, you say, amen, pastor. Or you say, I'm blessed. Now you are engaging in the process of giving and receiving. Cuando yo le digo, usted es bendecido, usted no dice nada. Usted no está recibiendo esa promesa. Pero si usted abre su boca y dice, amén, pastor, yo lo recibo. Usted está entrando a ese proceso de recibir. So open your mouth. And put the word of God in it. Don't put gossip in it. I heard so-and-so say, that's not going to deliver anybody. Well, my great-grandmother died of that. You're probably going to die of that too. That's not going to help anybody. You need to put the word of God in your mouth. Pon la palabra de Dios en tu boca. Why? Because your, your, your mind, your heart will believe what your mouth is speaking. And I'll just prove it to you. If you're, if you're talking about, I'm sick, I'm tired, I'm always down. Guess what you're going to be? Sick, tired, and down. Si usted está hablando todo el día, estoy tan cansado. Estoy tan enfermo. Siempre abajo, usted va a vivir en eso. Pero usted, si usted va hablando diciendo, soy bendecido. But if you're talking about, I'm blessed. I'm whole. I have peace. The joy of the Lord is my strength. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. This is the inheritance of the children of God. Your life is just going to naturally go where your mouth is taking it. Ehud prepared a double-edged sword. Now, I have to fast forward here a little bit because we're running out of time. But listen what, listen what the Bible says. He took his double-edged sword because they were going to go in front of the king. Iban a ir delante del rey. Él prepara una espada de dos filos. And he puts it on his right thigh. We're not real sure why. Most likely because when he would have been um, checked at security... And they saw that he had a left hand that was functional. They wouldn't have checked his right side. I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. They obviously didn't have metal detectors. 
but he got himself prepared. Don't ever go in a fight unprepared. No se va a una batalla sin prepararse. If you know you're going to face the devil tomorrow, go get to word. Si usted va a confrontarse con el diablo mañana, vaya y prepárese con la palabra. Y él va y ahora entra a la presencia del rey. They go into the presence of the king and he had been chosen to deliver the offering that would that would be given so that Eglon would leave them alone. A él lo han escogido para que lleve la ofrenda para que no los estorbe este rey. And so, Here's, here's what is interesting about this. Ehud goes in, he delivers the offering, and he leaves. El va, entrega la ofrenda, y se va. The whole time he's got that word. But it seems like he second-guessed himself. Parece ser que este juez, cuando él entra, él tiene la espada con él, pero no la usa, y él parece ser como que... Le dio miedo. He had a little chicken in him. Because the Bible said he got all the way to Gilgal. That's, that's another region, another town. Dice la escritura que llegó a Gilgal. I mean, he went all the way to Kennedy. And you know what he was doing the whole time? Man, I should have done it. I should have just done it. Have you ever been there? I should have gone for it. And that was my chance. That was my opportunity. I should have gone for it. I should have done it. He got to Gilgal. I'll just go back. Llegó a Gilgal y dijo, pues yo me, le entró el valor y se fue para atrás. He said to his assistants, he said, you guys go on home. I have a word from God for this king. Hallelujah. Dijo, ustedes váyanse para la casa. Yo tengo palabra de Dios para este demonio. And he walked into the king's chamber again. He said, uh, king, I have a word from God for you. Come on now. Next time you run into the devil, don't you go telling him about, I wish you would leave. I hope that you will go. No, you tell him, I have a word from God for you. When your flesh is fighting you, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, look, I have a word from God from you, for you. El baile dice a ese rey, tengo palabra de Dios para ti. Y el rey se, se emocionó. The king got excited. He sent out all of his attendants. Now, this is very interesting because the king obviously saw no threat in Ehud. Messed up right arm. Probably didn't look like much. El, el rey no vio ningún, ningún peligro en este hombre porque tenía un brazo derecho cojo y a lo mejor no era ni tan fuerte. He probably wasn't a very strong man. He didn't look like much. But he said, I have a word from God for you. And he sent out everybody. Sacó a todos aquel rey, cerraron la puerta y dijo, Dijo Ehud, esta es la palabra de Dios para ti. He says, this is God's word for you. He takes out that dagger and he thrusts it into Eglon. Right into his belly. The Bible says Eglon was so fat that this, the, this sword, which about 18 inches, just went right into him, handle and all. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Esa espada entró y estaba tan gordo el rey que se comió la espada. <laughs> Listen, the word that's in your mouth 
is power. I said, the word that is in your mouth is power. The word that is in your mouth is power. That, that demon might look stronger than you, but he is not stronger than you. Quizá ese enemigo se vea más fuerte que tú, pero no es más fuerte. Usted tiene la palabra de Dios y la palabra es poder. Now here's the thing. Because the Bible says that the flesh, the God of the flesh is its belly. La Escritura nos dice que el Dios de la carne es su estómago. Really, it's the word appetite. Do you know what Ehud went after? He went after the appetite of the flesh. And this is where, where Ehud becomes a type of Christ. Because when Christ comes into your life, he will go right after the appetite of the flesh. The cycle's going to break when your appetite changes. And your appetite is going to change when God has done his work in your life. Usted, el ciclo va a quebrar en su vida cuando usted ha tenido un cambio de apetito. El Dios de este siglo es el apetito. America is all about appetite. Estados Unidos es, está, es un, una nación perdida en el apetito. And I'm not just talking about our appetite for food. That's a big one, though. <laughs> but the appetite for the lusts of the flesh, the appetite for money, for pleasure, for sex, the appetite for entertainment, it is just a ruling God in this nation, and Jesus is on a rampage to tear that thing down. It is the only thing that can break the cycle when you first bring your appetite under submission to the will of God. Su apetito tiene que bajar a estar sujeto a la voluntad de Dios. You know what the proverb says, Proverbs 23:2. It says, put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. This is a savage sermon, I know. <laughs> Dice Proverbios, pon, pon un cuchillo a tu garganta si tu Dios es el apetito. And I just want to close tonight by asking you a question. What is your appetite? We all have one. Do you have an appetite for spiritual things? I know you do because you're in God's house tonight. Usted tiene un apetito para... Las cosas de Dios. Do you want to know when you're in trouble? When you don't have an appetite for spiritual things. Listen. When you, when you start losing an appetite for God, that's the time to run to God. Cuando usted pierde el apetito para lo espiritual, ese es el tiempo para correr a Dios. Somebody asked, uh, somebody was trying to explain to a little boy the, the, the war between the flesh and the spirit. He said, the grandfather said to his grandson, he said, son, the flesh and the spirit are like two dogs, a white dog and a black dog. Un abuelo le quería explicar a su nieto cuál era la guerra entre la carne y el espíritu. Dijo, es como un perro blanco y un perro negro. And the little boy asked a good question. He said, grandpa, which dog's going to win? Dijo, abuelo, ¿cuál de los dos perros va a ganar? And grandpa answered in the best way he could. He said, the dog you feed is the dog that will win. If you feed the flesh, the flesh will reap corruption. If you feed the spirit, the spirit will bring life. Si usted le da de comer... El perro que usted le dé de comer es el que va a ganar. Si usted le da de comer a la carne, la carne va a ganar. Si usted le da de comer al espíritu, es el espíritu que va a ganar. Usted está fortaleciendo su espíritu. Ehud went right after the appetite. No, it's no mistake that here we are in the beginning of our 21-day fast. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to go after some appetites. And that needs to be our prayer. Lord, 
Take out every appetite that is not of you. Everything that would lead me astray, everything that would lead me down, every, everything that would lead me backwards, take the appetite out of my, let me, let me be disgusted by it when I think about it. You, when you saw Eglon there with his sword in his stomach, you said, that's gross, that's disgusting. And yet, that's precisely the kind of attitude we need to have toward the appetite of the flesh. To say, God, it, it, I don't want to walk according to the flesh. I want to walk according to the spirit because the Bible says we do not walk according to the flesh. We walk by the spirit. And that flesh is going to come down. It is, it is subject to the work of God. But, you know, there's a promise here. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who have an appetite for righteousness. Jesús dijo, bendito el que tiene hambre y sed de justicia. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they will be satisfied. Ellos serán llenos. Los que tienen el apetito para lo espiritual serán llenos. And I just want to tell you what happens next. The Bible says that Eglon falls dead on the floor and Ehud goes out. And he blows a trumpet of victory, announcing to Israel, it's time to fight. He didn't say the fight's over. He said, all right, the fight, it's just begun, but it has been won. And I'm here today to announce to you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus blew a trumpet on the cross, announcing that the fight is already won. The victory's already yours. The victory's already mine. And the Bible said he told them, pursue, 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 pursue. And they pursued until every last one of their enemies came under their foot. Ellos oyeron, Ehud sonó esa trompeta de alarma diciendo, prepárense para la guerra, porque ya ha empezado la victoria. Y Jehová le dio éxito a ese pueblo. Y ellos derrotaron al cada uno de sus enemigos hasta el último. And the scripture says that they rested for 80 years. Do like this. What do you see in 80 years? Come on, we did it last week. We'll do it again this week. ¿Qué ve usted en 80 años? If Jesus tarries, some of you are giving me the religious answer. I want to know, if Jesus tarries, what's your life leaving behind? Some of you need to be saying, my grandchildren are going to be serving the Lord. My sons and daughters are going to have blessing and prosperity. Poverty is going to be broken in our family. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a vision for what God is going to do, not just in your lifetime and not just in the lifetime of your children, but in the lifetimes of your children and their children. This year, listen, church, this year will bring a stability to your family tree that if Jesus tarries, your tree, your family tree, will bless generations to come. Come on, I need some faith in this house. I'm talking about 80 years. Do you know how old this church is? Listen, 80 years ago in that little village of Berkeley, somebody looked into the future and they said, I see in 80 years this church is still rolling. Well, guess what? I see 80 more and this church is still preaching the gospel. This church is still taking Christ to the nations. The fight that you're going through right now is worth it. I said the fight you're going through right now is worth it. Every trial, every circumstance, every setback, it is worth it because what God has for your future is greater than you ever could have imagined. 
So just for a moment, get your head up into the spirit and agree with God. I am a strong right arm. I am a stable man. I am a persistent man. Come on. I am a son. I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. Hallelujah. Dice que ellos descansaron 80 años. ¿Cuáles serán las generaciones de tu vida en 80 años? Tu familia estará sirviendo a Dios. Tu familia será una bendición a las naciones. Tus hijos y tus hijas serán bendición. Aleluya. Aleluya. Aleluya.